This is the Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library on WQRT 99.1 FM, Indianapolis. In 1922, Kurt Vonnegut was welcomed to Earth. Over his 84 years, he became a beloved writer known for his unflinching look at the world and an outspoken voice for free speech and common decency. Known for his unique sardonic style, Vonnegut published 14 novels, three collections of short stories, five plays, and five works of nonfiction. In 2022, the Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library are celebrating Vonnegut's 100th birthday. Join me, Chris Lefebvre, and my co-host Sam Bannon as we explore the ways Vonnegut's legacy has shaped the lives of others and continues to make souls grow. From the Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library, this is The Vonnegast. 2022 is the year of Vonnegut at 100, a century of stories. The Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library has a full year of programs and events celebrating the life, work, and legacy of Kurt Vonnegut. Next up, on April 9th and 10th, we have three events. We are unveiling our Vonnegut and Jazz exhibit on the evening of April 9th. And on April 10th, KVML will receive the American Library Association's first literary landmark designation in the state of Indiana. Join us from 12 to 4 p.m. at the museum for a special celebration, the unveiling of another new exhibit, Women Who Shape Vonnegut, and free copies of Slaughterhouse-Five for the first 100 students. And in the evening of April 10th, KVML will host our annual Night of Vonnegut fundraiser at the Indiana Roof Ballroom starting at 7 p.m. There are only a few tickets left, and past Vonnegut Humor Award recipient comedian Gary Goldman will headline a Night of Vonnegut that you won't want to miss. You can reserve your spot for all KVML events on our website, kvml.org. Welcome to the Vonicast. I'm your host, Sam Bannon, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Lefebvre. Today, we're thrilled to have the comedian and Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library board chair, Louis Black, as our special guest. Known as the king of rant, Louis Black uses a trademark style of comedic yelling and finger-pointing to skewer the absurdities of life found in social media, politics, and anything else that exposes hypocrisy. His unique energy led him to being cast as the voice of anger itself in Pixar's film Inside Out. Lewis has performed for audiences throughout the world. He's also had his own show on Comedy Central and been a guest on The Daily Show countless times. In 2012, he performed eight sellout shows on Broadway. And since 2014, he has done over 400 live streaming shows called The Rant is Due. Lewis has also served as an ambassador for voting rights for the American Civil Liberties Union. And now, Lewis, adding to your impressive career, you are now the president of the board of directors for the Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library. And here today, you are now a guest here on the Vonicast. Louis, thank you for being here, and welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Well, I, you know, with, with uh, the fact that uh, I've, I've now the uh, made it to the uh, the board chairmanship of uh, the Vonnegut Museum, and am on the rant, and and on this podcast, I can I can uh, really die happy. Um, oh, good. But uh, the one thing you should it's know it's only going to get darker from here on out. Exactly. No, but you should note that um, my uh, I've been I've, I've been on the Daily Show as a regular for 25 years. Mm-hmm. So whoever wrote that uh, 
Uh, I, I get so tired. Of, did you write the uh, bio? Because then they must have screwed up the original. But yeah, it's unbelievable. That and they and they keep putting this King of the Rant thing in, and it's just shut up with the King of the Rant. <laughs> All I can see is a guy with a dopey crown screaming. You know, it's like a, a bad King Lear, really, is what I see. Well, Lewis, as you mentioned, as we mentioned in the open, obviously you're now the board of directors. Um, so what was the first time you encountered Vonnegut that kind of led to you having a passion for Vonnegut and then, of course, now being the chairman of the board? Well, as soon as I read the first sentence of his work, I said, I want to be the board chairman. Um, <laughs> God, this is really, I've waited my whole life for this sentence. No, I was, um, yeah. I was in uh, <clears throat> working in a parking lot uh, in Montgomery County, Maryland, near my home. Uh, and I had this really great job. It's one of the best jobs I ever had. All I had to do was sit in this air-conditioned booth. Uh, it was a summer job. And uh, it was in the, uh, like, from, it was perfect. It was, like, from 2 until 9 or 1 until 9 at, in, at night. So then I had the evening. And, um, uh, and I would collect money from the folks who had parked in this public parking place. And... Uh, and so, and then, the, and so I had all of this time really to read because it wasn't like you know they come in, you know bits and you know here and here and there the they, the cars would come in. There was no like there was maybe one or two times during the evening when when the folks would be coming in, either into work or leaving work where there was a a rush of cars, and the rest of the time I could read. And um, I stumbled onto, and I can't remember why. Um, but someone somewhere, one of my friends, I guess, had given me a copy of Cat's Cradle, and I read it, and that was that. I was like, "Wow, this is unbelievable!" And uh, it was the—I was about sixteen, I guess. It was the first time an adult. I went, "Oh, good! I'm not crazy. There are adults who get this, who basically are looking at the world somewhat in the fashion that I am." And who see it as there's a, there's a certain amount of problems out there, mm -hmm. and that it's it's not all kind of uh, oh we're gonna follow this path and everything will be a okay. Um, it really opened up a it 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 made me trust my own instincts is what it did and may and gave me it was like positive reinforcement, not on the level that that people want. <laughs> Part of the reason that I have been a big proponent of the of the uh, of the library and the and the museum, but uh, um, also um, uh, so I read it and and then uh, and then I followed it with Sirens of Titan and and then it just I read every, and then I just read whatever whatever was in sight, uh, ending I guess with. Uh, you know, or at least the one that was Slaughterhouse Five. Mm -hmm. I love, I love that story. Uh, you mentioned laid back jobs. Um, mine almost corresponds perfectly with that. Um, I worked at a gas station the summer of my first senior year of college. Uh, <laughs> there was definitely a second, 
And uh, what I, I remember the very similar, like just the perks were unbelievable. The job started at 2 p.m. It ended at 10 p.m. Uh, every pay, everybody paid with credit cards. So selling cigarettes was literally my only responsibility. Uh, <laughs> I read uh, I, my parents stopped speaking to me that entire summer, and I think it was connected. Uh, but we, uh, I do remember being able to read. And uh, Breakfast of Champions was a major one that summer and being like, I'm sitting in a gas station reading a book full of drawings of <laughs> underpants. Yeah. Wide open beavers. Yeah. And, and wide open beavers yeah. right open beavers yep uh, yeah. Lewis, oh sorry no go on uh, you've mentioned that you uh, noted cat's cradle is your favorite vonnegut oh um yeah your favorite vonnegut novel how much of a bokanonist would you classify yourself to be and yes we looked up the pronunciation of that <laughs> i bet you did and i now can't remember precisely because my brain is what is a bokanonist again you'll have to run that by me it's uh it's the Vonnegut religion from Cat's Cradle where they uh they they kind of invented to uh create peace and harmony among the, oh, the yeah. citizens of San Lorenzo. They r- they rub their feet uh their feet uh, together cuz that's yeah. that's where they're connected with the earth. Yeah, for Boca yeah. Maru. Yeah, no, it's no, that's no. It's, You're not touching feet with people? <laughs> no, I'm not touching feet in the spe- especially now. <laughs> Uh, that was out the window. No, I mean, a lot of what was interesting about that book is I read it. And and then years later, um, actually, when uh, when I visited the museum, I went back and read a bunch of Vonnegut. Now, this is like six, seven years ago, which is why I don't remember anything. Um, and uh, I thought when I read uh I read it that uh, he was a lot more critical of Indiana than uh, he was. I, I just thought, uh, and I, as a result, had a, a prejudice toward Indiana, which I had a little of because it was, of course, the the where the Ku Klux Klan was created. So that always was a little bit much. And that they had um, taken, um, you know, the, the Baltimore Colts, and uh, and didn't even have the common decency to change the name. To, well, they another... changed it to Indianapolis Colts. I guess that kind of counts for something. <laughs> well, no, you change the Colts. You don't keep that name. That's really that was a poke in the eye, and um, and to have it at the cover of night. And I hold you all and the whole city uh, personally responsible, and will probably until until uh, I come back and haunt you all. Um, <laughs> but I but I did. But I, but it's weird because I really did have, I was completely wrong when I read the book. I went, what was I, what, where did my, what did I see that was, it wasn't in the book. (laughs) There was a kind of a thing about Indiana and other things, but it was much kinder to Indiana than, than I remember it. It was kind of stunning. It was not the book I remembered. I still love the book. Um, but it wasn't as, as much the book I remembered, which I found amazing. I still thought it was great and uh, made me wonder just how bitter I was as a child in the, in the way that I've read this book. You know, when we're confronted with that, uh, one of my favorite Vonnegut quotes about Indiana was uh, Indianapolis was 400 and uh, or sorry, 355 days of miniature golf, followed by the indianapolis 500 uh, people took people took that as an insult but i think vonnegut probably like most people just really enjoyed miniature golf i mean yeah there's nothing wrong with mini it's, golf. it's a golf game that i can win it yeah is. exactly it's a golf game we can all win uh, the thing and then 
but the, the, the thing about the false caress, the thing about, um, what was it? The, uh, the whole idea of Hoosiers, that was the one. And that made a yeah. bit where we came from, really, my, uh, where the negativity, where I thought it was negative, because that whole idea of a group of people that were gathered together for no apparent reason, um, mm. the Hoosiers, uh, which stuck in my brain for years and really reached major fruition when you gave us Dan Quayle as a vice president. <laughs> um, that was that was well, the peak of of Hoosier knowledge. Yes, it was. And that, and that it was and then and that didn't mean and that it was who's here. Apparently, that's one of the uh, the reason. One of the things of where the Hoosier came from was a contraction of who's here. I am a lifelong Hoosier, born and raised here in Indiana, and they taught us in fourth grade Indiana history that Hoosier means hill person. So basically, we're affectionately calling ourselves hillbillies over and over again because Hoosier means hill person. Okay, yeah. that's the closest thing to a coherent answer I've ever heard, and I've lived here since 1991. So that I'm, I'm glad you I'm yeah. glad you know that. Yeah, I'd, I'd heard that, I, but I I really like that who's here one, which really kind of goes along with uh, my idea of <laughs> of the problems of the state. Uh, but the uh, but also it's the same thing. I, I I went to the University of North Carolina, and they have this. They, you know, we're called the Tar Heels, and nobody has an explanation. There's six explanations, <laughs> none of which are satisfying. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but I feel like him, the Hoosier quote of him saying that Hoosiers are anyone in like any certain place together is a false caress. It's really like the only, if you had yeah. to say, if, there, if there's one thing that Vonnegut said negatively about Indiana, it'd be that, right? Or. I, I mean, if you go into a million interviews, you'll see some commentary on the politics and um, some commentary on just having to keep thoughts to himself with his family. Um, you know, I think there are people all over the world that keep some thoughts to themselves around their family. So mm -hmm. I, I think he, um, he he had an up and down relationship with his hometown that I think a lot of people do. Um, but I, I think he was always very proud of the education he received here, the uh, the Vonnegut hardware store, the architecture of the city, and that it was connected to his family. I mean, there's a lot of pride there as well. Yeah, there was a lot, a lot more pride. Is uh, I've kind of gotten to, to uh, more to, to know more about him than I than I really had thought. Um, but then again, he didn't like uh, go. Boy, I'm going to live here. Something that we should point out. And remember, yeah, which we, fair enough. As, yeah, as, as the discussion continues, this will have me. I'm basically saying all these things so that they'll throw me off the board. <laughs> um, that I, I can go back to my normal life of doing nothing, but uh, <laughs> you know, but uh, but uh, uh, but but it's really. I mean, that was really the breakthrough for me with the Indianapolis was when they when they put that. I mean, that was huge when uh, I. That uh, Julia approached me and said, "We've got this. We're building this. We've got this Vonnegut Museum." And I was like, "Really? You've got to be kidding me!" And that was big. And then I went down that day. My opening act. The next time we were there, he went down. He was uh, really impressed. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, it, you know, it was, you know. And then uh, I, I, I was stunned by it. And then, of course, and then the, the. Then the art galleries and things that have grown up there. I mean, it, it really kind of started to blossom um, once you stole our football team. You know, there was probably <laughs> had something to do with people coming from another state, like the state I live in. Um, I was born and raised in Maryland and kind of like 
you know, giving a, a, a bit of the renaissance uh, that the our state had experienced <laughs> to you. And so things, you know, but they, but the, uh, but I was, I was, you know, once I kind of, that door opened and, and, uh, and then I kind of found myself at a, a uh, at the, the um, at the art gallery and, and kind of was really thought that was extraordinary. And, um, and then, and, and the more time I spend there, the more I'm really impressed by it. I've, I've certainly was impressed first off because I love food. I was very impressed by the, the amount of heat in that, um, in that, uh, St. Um, St. Elmo's St. Elmo's. I, I yeah. was going to actually say that, but I was thought can't be St. Elmo's, but um, it was, uh, I could remember it, but it was the St. Elmo's uh, mm -hmm. shrimp cocktail. That was the first impressive thing. I was like, wow, that is, that is phenomenal. <laughs> that they, and that they put that on there and that they don't, they've never backed off. They just, you're going to eat this on your shrimp and you're going to, to you could probably burn your, the roof of your mouth on it. Go yourself. Probably done for for people who come from out of state. Yeah, well, uh, in between timeouts at Pacers games, they have a contest where they try to eat a like a big cup of the St. Elmo's cocktail sauce as quickly as they can. And I've not seen anyone throw up yet, but my guess is it will happen sooner than later. Are you serious? I am serious. Yeah, they, they've got the, uh, the <laughs> eating the cocktail sauce as quickly as possible. They also do baby races sometimes. I think those are really fun. They've never had the babies eat the cocktail sauce yet. But hopefully that's next season. Well, the ba or or they based a minute, really. Oh yeah. <laughs> dear lord, yeah that uh, that would be rough. Uh, you know, I think of many times I couldn't afford my allergy medication. That would have been amazing to have just downing a bunch of animals. <laughs> so, one of my yeah. choices. So, Luce, you've done various acting. Obviously, you're mostly a stand-up comedian. But if you had to play any Vonnegut character from any book or any short story, who would you want that to be? I mean, I couldn't do it, but it would probably be Billy Pilgrim, but I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. You know, it would be a, a, a I, I'd be given, uh, uh, as a matter of fact, um, I would be punished more than Will Smith will be punished if I played <laughs> the role of Billy Pilgrim. Uh, they would just, people would just go, no, but I, that would be the role. I would want to do just to study the, just to do that kind of a character. I guess it would. Nick Nolte did it in the mo movie, I think. Uh, Michael Sachs. Oh, Sachs. Yeah, Nick Nolte was uh, Mother Knight. He was Howard Campbell. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. Uh, what is it about Billy that makes you want to want to play him? Just the just the 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 innocence, the depth, all of that. You know, uh, going through that kind of horror, the, his reaction to it, the um, the uh, the way in which he dealt with it, the uh, uh, the use of imagination. All of that stuff, you know, of, of, of finding a way out of that I insanity um, that was going on. Uh, uh, that would be that would be the, the reasons, you know. It's it, it's definitely a really neat role. Uh, the idea of a book that involves the trial Famidorians and time travel and war all being mostly like ninety nine percent a work of nonfiction as yeah. a description of being something completely and utterly outside of your control. Mm -hmm. um, Salman Rushdie came here during our big fundraiser for the, for, uh, for buying the new building. And he really had some interesting thoughts on how Sirens of Titan, like Vonnegut almost had to write Sirens of Titan just to like have a 10 year yeah. warm up to get Slaughterhouse five out there. 
Yeah, they're really mm-hmm. similar. They both kind of say free will is, is and they both have dropped by Midorian. So yeah, that's that's an interesting point from from Salmon. Yeah. Um, Lewis, do you have a like? What what are some other authors you enjoy? Um, I really love. Uh, I'll tell you, the one that really is the the I, I keep saying is um, that I keep pushing on people uh, is. Um, Vonnegut on acid, in a sense, uh, or the next step is, or you don't have this author without Vonnegut, is George Saunders, who, in a sense, is like, um, uh, is uh, Vonnegut is Jonathan Winters and um, uh, um, uh, and um, and uh, and Saunders is uh, Robin Williams, those kind of equivalencies to me. Uh, I, I don't know if you've read George Saunders, but it's, he's really, uh, I don't know how you, I, I, I don't know how he exists with, in, in, without, without what Vonnegut wrote. Um, it's, it's really, uh, there's some spectacular stuff that Saunders has written. We get the deep, the deep Vonnegut fans frequently, if they're, if they're familiar with George Saunders, which is nowhere near a majority, I mean, he's a, he's a lot less famous, I think. Uh, but people had, he, he clued into that idea that Vonnegut was trying to make people laugh at subject matters that aren't funny and are totally outside of their control. And, he, and, and I think George Saunders just took that ball and ran with it to a certain extent. Yeah, degree. and then wrote in a sense of, uh, you know, of taking a um, premise that was two steps beyond reality uh, and, and, then, uh, and then modeling and creating something out of that. So, I mean, he's got uh, two or three of the short stories are take place in theme parks that are just insane. These theme parks where you kind of go to the, you go to the, you go visit the past and, uh, you know, or, or even a, a, a version of the present. Um, and the, and it's about the people who you go and look at in the theme park who are the, who are paid to be in the theme park. It's really uh, quite special and like Vonnegut, laugh out loud. That's the other thing. I mean, there are not a lot of authors who make me laugh out loud. Uh, And he's certainly um, him. uh, And the other one that really did it but didn't have the the track record is, um, the other big authors uh, is uh, Joseph Heller and Catch-22. And that book is pivotal to me, uh, in the same way that Vonnegut is. It's, I, I read them around the same time. It also, and that one was more uh, reality based in a sense. You know, this is my my, so my father said this is what it's going to be like when you. I said, why should I read this book? He because he said this is what it's going to be like when you go out into the world. So you might as well have some idea what you're going to be up against. And yeah, I was I reading that book when I was like thirteen or fourteen. I don't know if it's because it's numbers-based, but whenever people come to the museum, people often mistake Catch-22 and Fahrenheit 451 as being Vonnegut-written. My guess is they're thinking of Slaughterhouse-Five, yeah. again, yeah. because they've got the numbers. But yeah, Catch-22 get, gets mentioned a lot by people coming yeah. into the museum. Well, and well that makes me feel better that people mess up 5 and 22 than I don't feel bad about <laughs> Well, I feel a lot better about my brain. 
Well, Vonnegut, Vonnegut hit a home run with that. He was in L.A. one night with uh, with Heller, and uh, they were at a cocktail party, and somebody had asked him uh, what it was like to write Catch-22. Yeah. And it was a total accident, and uh, instead of correcting him, Vonnegut started to say, um, you know, he went into this big parable, like five, ten minutes long, about what it was like to write Catch-22, and at the end of it, he said, oh, by the way, Catch-22 was written by Ray Bradbury. And, and Heller was there. <laughs> I just love that. Well, Lewis, Kurt Vonnegut once said that there are two different kinds of writers in the world, one being a basher who sweats over every sentence, and then a swooper who writes an entire manuscript and then goes back through. So when you're writing something, whether it be uh, your stand-up routine or something else, which one are you? Are you a basher who sweats over every sentence or a swooper who writes everything and then goes back and then looks over everything? Swooper. Um, Basher will make you crazy. Uh, I discovered that when I was, um, I think it's also the, at least for me, where I learned that was when I started to try to write something, um, with my typewriter, you know, write not my typewriter, but like, you know, when I had a word processor and I was going to, before the, uh, the moments of the computer, my, my brother had got me a word processor and cause I was writing plays then and and when I started to type uh, my plays into a, a type, instead of writing it in longhand, I, I felt obligated for it to be absolutely right because it was showing up in the, the way it would in a book or the way it would if you were publishing it. And I, and I finally realized um, uh, it was a big breakthrough for me as a writer to realize that I needed to write in longhand, that writing in longhand, people, there are people who can type and write. Um, but for me, it, you know, because they, it keeps them, their brain, it, you know, they can, their brain can move that fast. Their hands can move that fast. If it's the way they write. I find that I think differently when I, when I write in longhand, it's two different ways of thinking. One is when you're typing and one is when you're, uh, when you type right or when you, uh, write longhand. And I'm, and so I became a swooper. And what I found was that, uh, um, you know, I write it out um, and then go back. So I just, I don't worry about it unless, uh, you know, uh, I, I write it as, 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 as much as I can to try to, to nail it. But I, I then go back and really, you know, re, you know redo it, um, you know, kind of uh, do some crossing out of it. And then I go back and type it and do the, a, a, another rewrite. And then once I type it, then I take it out and do it again that's when i start going through it in that fashion but mostly it's swooping i i do think the swoopers outnumber the bashers it you gave me the thought when you mentioned catch 22 that book for whatever reason reads at a thousand miles an hour i i, I don't know why because it was a huge book and it's in very small mm -hmm. type and yeah. i remember picking that up and thinking oh this is going to take me years to read it probably took me a week and i always wondered how much like heller must have written that very quickly and I, and, I, and I have no idea whether that's true or not, but I, I remember reading that and thinking, okay, he's definitely not a basher. This guy, yeah. the, the, the frantic pace of that novel blew my mind. But it's also the, the, the shortness of those chapters, you know, major, 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 majors, like a five-page chapter. I mean, those chapters, as I remember it, I'm probably completely wrong. Those chapters have probably went on for days. But as I remember it, those chapters <laughs> seem to be really short and to the point. And that, and that was... Um, it, what was weird to me was when I was writing the, the third book uh, that I wrote that I realized that um, 
that I was that I that how much uh, an effect his that Vonnegut's style had on me that I wrote in short paragraph type of thoughts in the way that he did um, that that was the way in which I write and now that I'm thinking about the next book I I'm, I'm, I think I'm thinking about it for the first time in my the first time of any book that I've written I'm conscious of the fact that that's the way I'm going to approach the book you know that that's what I learned from him and that's what I'm going to do. And so that's the way I'm doing. Kurt once called music proof of the existence of God. What do you like to listen to? Um, I just missed them. I played in, uh, I was in Porchester at a great theater in uh, Rye, New York. And it's uh, the Capitol theater. It's just phenomenal. And you guys were talking about the Grateful Dead. The Grateful Dead had, a 13-night stand in 1970 there. Yep, I own all those recordings. Do you really? Yep. Wow. Yeah, you're as fruity as my tour manager. And yep. then, um, <laughs> I mean, I like the Grateful Dead, but the, you guys are psychotic. Yeah, it's, oh, it's a full-on, my wife wonders about my sanity constantly. Well, yeah, he, he's got, you know, and now he's gone on to fish. You know, it's like madness. It's the road to madness. Um, but I get it. But they were there, and... Um, there were other bands like Mountain was there. I mean, it was like crazy on the walls during the 70 to 72 period. Uh, uh, the um, Mad Dogs and Englishmen tour was there. Oh, hell yeah. That's a great one. Uh, the Jefferson Airplane was there. Um, and then who was, and then really the, the group that was there and all of those groups I, I, you know, I listened to. Airplane I still listen to. I listen to some of their stuff. I listen to, I do listen to, um, the Dead, I listened to, uh, but the group that was there was Tedeschi Trucks played the three days. Now they're phenomenal. I like yeah. them a lot. Yeah, um, I'm an enormous fan of theirs as well. Yeah, and they came out of my favorite band, my, my one of my favorite bands, which was uh, the Allman Brothers, who then spawned Government Mule and Tedeschi Trucks. Um, and so I really love them. Uh, I like uh, the Rolling Stones. Um, those are the ones that come to mind immediately. Uh, you know, uh, Bonnie Raitt, um, in incredible, uh, Emmy Lou Harris, stupefying, um, you know, the, uh, uh, Elvis Costello. I mean, I can go on we can sit here for days. Yeah. I was, I, I was going to say, I, my, my goal with this podcast is to regret that question every time I ask it. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. I, Cause you just kind of end up going through every, you kind of go, and then there's them and there's. Yeah, there's there's a funny line from a movie where a guy asks a girl that he likes, uh, "Hey, do you like music?" And she's like, "That's like asking if I like food or if I how do I feel about yeah. air." Um, so we'll we'll have to have an Exile on Main Street listening session at the Vonnegut Library next time you're in town. That I've listened to the most a billion times. I mean, yeah. a billion. That was after uh, a really bad marriage, and it was uh, that and um, some. Uh, some pot sedation and headphones and uh and i listened to that a lot and uh it was it was really it was a big it was a real help <laughs> and, um, and i also like dylan but i went to see dylan and uh because i'd never gone and uh and i was supposed to meet him afterwards it was in vegas i performed he knew I was there. He, it, it, it was purported, or you know, it was supposed to be supposed to be a fan. That was 
and I'd gotten invited to the show and um, in the sense that I would meet, you know, I was going to the show and I'd meet him afterwards. And uh, I sat up stairs and um, my other friend, a friend of mine, Bobby Slayton, a very funny comic, was downstairs. He was standing, he was in a the, kind of the mosh pit downstairs where everybody was standing and I'm upstairs and I'm next to the, uh, the soundboard which gave me a, a which was really a lucky break because I could read the set list because I had no idea um, because Dylan has a tendency sometimes to sing a song in a totally different way than the, what he, the way he wrote it. And he was singing all of these songs and I was like, so I have to look down and go, oh, wow, this is not. And then uh, the way he was singing, it was incomprehensible. And uh, I was like, and I'm sitting there going, this is, uh, oh, this is, uh, this, you know, this is ridiculous. And I'm turning to these people and I'm, who apparently had been there this like the 10th time. And I said, you know, is he, is this usually the way it is? Do you, is, is this how he does it? And, I, and you know, is, is this the way he, he usually plays his music and uh, sings? And they go, yeah. So, so you don't really know what he's singing sometimes or what and they went yeah and i said uh I, I don't get it and they go what What do you have to get it's bob dylan <laughs> I was like, okay all right well then we're on two different we're in two different holding patterns so i was supposed to meet him afterwards and um he left he didn't he didn't stay he was going back to la so that was a disappointment but um but the bigger disappointment was i just there was, I didn't, you know, if I, I would like to have heard it, the way he had reimagined these songs, but you lose it from the standpoint that you can't hear the words. Gotcha. Yeah. I, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those unique things where you submit to it, I guess. I, uh, I've definitely been to my fair <laughs> share of Dylan shows where it's like, okay, so we're on his planet right now. Yeah. Well, Lewis, I think, I think it is time for one of our favorite segments here on the podcast. It is the speed round. And this will consist of 10 rapid-fire questions. We will alternate uh, with Vonnegut questions and with general questions. And how this works is I will say something, and you will say the first thing that comes into your mind. Uh, Lewis Black, are you ready? Yeah. All right, here we go with the speed round. First question, uh, your second favorite Vonnegut novel. Um, second favorite was... Um, if, I'd, if I'd said... Uh, I would have to say that the two are really uh, um, uh, Cat's Cradle and um, and uh, Slaughterhouse Five. Favorite city you visited on a comedy tour? Oh, Indianapolis. No, I'm, <laughs> uh, no, I, I. That's hard because it's I, I, it's really that's almost impossible. There's like 25 cities. It, it, I can sit here. There are a lot of really great cities, and it depends on the venue. But it's Chicago, right? Um, it, it was Chicago. Uh, one word to describe Vonnegut's effect on your life. Uh, it, what do you call it? It's, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not earth shaking, but it was like, it was similar to, it was like similar to, there are three things in my life. There was Vonnegut, um, uh, mushrooms and, um, the USO tour. And they were all, uh, Basically, one word doesn't do it. It changed the way I looked at things. 
the biggest difference between a comedy tour and a rock and roll tour? Groupies. <laughs> That's a great one-word answer. Vonnegut <laughs> character you try to most emulate in your day-to-day -day life. I probably, you know, mostly it's him more than it's his characters. The funniest person you've met? Uh, they're like five. Um, my best friend uh, growing up, Ray Larson, and uh, another close friend of mine, a great comic, Kathleen Madigan. If Montana Wildhack, the porn star in Slaughterhouse-Five, were real, would you date her? I would date her. She wouldn't date me. <laughs> I can tell you that. And if, and if she did date me, she would have much more severe problems than <laughs> she has in that book. Uh, she, there'd be a lot of, you know, there'd be some issues. Your favorite food that you think other people think is gross. Well, I know that other people think oysters are gross. If, you know, um, you know the, the you know basically you're basically the cold oysters. The one thing that you would say to Kurt Vonnegut if he were still alive. How did you think of that? <laughs> That's very on point. Yeah. I think I would say the same thing. Uh, back when you were performing in Chapel Hill, you used to perform at a venue called Cat's Cradle. Uh, yes. What Kurt-esque memories do you have from that chapter of your life? Uh, 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 well, the Cat's Cradle was the, the name of the place, and uh, uh, it was um, uh, and it was the first place that I performed as a stand-up, and it was it was a bad, it, I, it was, well, I was awful. <laughs> I'll tell the story was, I mean, it was so bad that um, uh, it just got worse and worse and worse. And I, my dog at the time, it, it was, my dog came up on stage because animal sense uh, when someone is in danger. And I, and I did, I put the dog on my lap and did something that uh, is, uh, that I knew would get a laugh. And, uh, because I'd done it so many times in my apartment. And I hadn't gotten any real laughs up till then. And I put the dog in my lap like this. I put him so that he was his back was on here. He's, he's looking out at the audience, and uh, his legs are down. It's like he's a ventriloquist dummy. And I took his paws, and I started playing with his uh, <laughs> and, um And I said, this is how a dog uh, uh, touches himself late at night when uh, you think uh, he's sleeping. Big, big, huge laugh, and I said thanks, and I left the stage. <laughs> and I consider that to be kind of uh, Vonnegut, you know, certainly Vonnegut-like. Probably, yeah, very Vonnegut-like, I think. Sounds like more of a Kilgore Trout story, I think, than us. Yes. Yeah. I going to say Kilgore Trout would be proud of that one. Louis, final question, and then we will let you go. Vonnegut gave many college commencement speeches and taught uh, whenever he could. Louis Black, what is your advice for young people today? My advice whenever I'm asked is that you pursue what it is that you love. And if you pursue what it is that you love, uh, is, is, if you pursue that as your, um, is, is what you want to do, um, you will end up doing, uh, you may not end up doing that, but you will end up doing something that you want to do. You do not pursue, money takes you nowhere. The only thing that takes you anywhere is, uh, is, is if you really love what you're doing. And that way you end up uh, 
So when the day comes to an end, I mean, I made no money um, when I wrote plays, none, but I was really happy. I was as happy then as I am now. Um, and, and what makes me still happy now is I still feel like when I was first started to make that transition to being a comic was is that what they were paying me for was to fly on a plane and go to these places that were, you know, and being on two flights and trying to save money and do all sorts of stuff, but not for being on stage. And uh, so you have to really um, think, what do I want to do and not worry about what you, you know, whether you can do it or not, um, you know, go for it. You'll find out, you know, if you can't do it, you'll, you know, you'll find something that, uh, it'll take you to something that you want to do. And that's really all that really matters because you want, you want it to be, you want the day to be, um, to be uh, fulfilling. And you don't want it to be about, boy, when I get to the end of the day, I've made, you know, 350 bucks. All right. That's like, it's like spending time in the dentist. Well, I think, I think that is a, a good way to, good way to wrap up the podcast. Um, Thank you so much for all that you do with the with the organization. Obviously, we mentioned you're the chairman of the board uh, for the Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library. Uh, specifically today, thank you for your time and joining us here today on the Vonnegut uh, For our listeners, you can head over to lewisblack.com to view Lewis's upcoming tour dates, Lewis Black merch, and to sign up for Lewis's newsletter, cleverly named Black Mail. Yep, and I'll be coming. Yeah, and I'll be coming to uh, to Indianapolis in the fall. So uh, keep a lookout. I'll be coming your way. Maybe we can go to a Colts game. No, we won't be going. <laughs> certainly, certainly not if they're playing my team, the Washington Commodes. Um, we won't be. Uh, guys, that was a lot of fun, and I appreciate it. And uh, when you need me again, if there's, you want to have do this again, please, let's do it. Okay? Perfect, yeah. Thank you, Lewis. Appreciate Thank you so that. Much, Thanks a lot. Until next time, Vonda Gideon, stay tuned to kvml.org and our socials for more exciting interviews coming soon. Thanks for listening to the Vonacast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with comedian Lewis Black. You can find Lewis on Twitter and Instagram at the Lewis Black Facebook at Lewis Black. Check out his tour by going to lewisblack.com and stay tuned for new episodes of the Vonacast coming soon. The Vonacast is a co-production by the Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library and WQRT Indianapolis. Special thanks to our guest, Lewis Black. The Vonacast is produced by Fiona Duffy and Drew DeSimone. Audio mix and editing by Nick Corey. Cover art by Arusiak Pivaitsyan. Vonacast episodes and all other KVML programming can be found on kvml.org or on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Vonnegut Library. Oh,